Great. Well, good afternoon. My name's John T. And uh, it's good to have you with us this afternoon. And we're going to have a look at that passage. It is a... Whew, that's long, right? There's a lot there. Um, so we're going to have to work pretty hard this afternoon to, um, to crack through this. But we're going to pray. We're going to ask for God's help. And uh, we're going to seek to learn together from these amazing words. Let's pray. Father... Thank you that we can be together. Thank you for this word that's just been read to us. Thank you that we've got it in our language. We can understand it. We can unpack it together. Please teach us, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I guess there's a temptation, and it would be easy to sort of dive into a big, long sermon about us and about how we should listen, and clearly there's a lot of listening stuff going on in this passage. You've probably noticed that if you've got ears. You're supposed to use them to listen. Lots of that kind of stuff. And it would be easy for us to jump into kind of us. But I want us to stop and ask a question before that. I've got three big questions this afternoon. This is how the talk's going to be structured. I'll show you what they are so you know where we're going. And the first big question that we need to ask is this. What do we learn about Jesus? All right. Mark chapter 4 is not, this is going to shock you, it's not about us as much as it's about Jesus. Why did Mark write this gospel? Not to give you some good advice about how you should live your life, but to show you who Jesus is. The very opening line of Mark's gospel, we saw it like weeks ago. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark has good news to announce. His good news is Jesus. Therefore, our first question when we look at Mark 4 is, well, what do we learn about Jesus from this story? The second question we're going to ask, which might sound slightly weird, but it will make sense when we get to it, possibly, is, what does Jesus intend? What is he intending to happen as a result of this teaching? And the third thing we're going to ask is, what does Jesus achieve? That's where we're going, all right? Now, we've already seen in Mark's Gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. That means he's the King, he's the Christ, He's the one who's bringing in God's kingdom. We've seen him confronting the religious system of the day. We've seen him last week. It was great last week, wasn't it? Phil was preaching last week. It was great because it wasn't me. And it was like, it was great to see those different reactions to Jesus. I mean, some people even accusing Jesus of being in league with Satan. I mean, it was like, wow, these reactions to Jesus. But in chapter 4, all of that sort of fades into the background. And chapter 4, Mark... I want you to imagine him painting a portrait of Jesus. He's painting a picture for us. And he's very clear. There's one thing about Jesus that Mark wants you to see this afternoon. And this is going to sound obvious, all right? But I'm going to show you why it's so significant. What we just read, nearly all of it, well, there's something very significant about nearly all of it. Virtually everything that Andrew just read to us, there's something very significant about it. It's the words of Jesus. They come straight from the lips of Jesus. Not now narrative stories of Jesus doing miracles and stuff, but this is the very words that Jesus spoke. I want to paint this picture, and I want to ask this question, what is this that... These words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth. Can you, can you picture him? He's a teacher. L- look at it with me. Look down at chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach 
by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching set. Jesus is the teacher. He is speaking words. You might say, John, this is like so obvious. Yeah, hang on. I'm going to show you why it matters in a minute. Or, or later on in the, in, in the passage, we discover that Jesus is like a farmer who is spreading seed, which is the word in verse 14. The farmer went to sow the word of God. Jesus speaks words. In chapter uh, 4, flick over to um, verse 21. Jesus describes himself as being like someone who is revealing something that's hidden. There's this secret that's being disclosed, but Jesus is bringing it out of its box and putting it on a stand so that everyone can see it. Words. Jesus is speaking words. And that's how the passage ends. Verse 33. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Words, words, words. This is a chapter that is full of the words of Jesus. Now, let's get this clear, right? We're not just saying Jesus has got a few words for the crowd. You know, like uh, the, the premiere of Spectre the other day, the new Bond, <laughs> you know what Spectre is. Uh, I hope. Uh, well, I don't, I don't care, actually. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Daniel Craig who plays James Bond. Just help, I'm helping the people who are out of touch. Trev, the, the, James Bond. Anna, I'm joking, I'm joking, uh, yeah, I'm joking, I'm joking. Not yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, what am I saying? Yes, James, so Daniel Craig, he's walking down the red carpet and the, uh, the interviews, have you got any words? Have you got a few words for the fans? Have you got a few words, Daniel? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is terrific. It's such a privilege. It's great, it's great, it's great, it's great. He's got a few words. That's not what we Jesus hasn't got a few words for the crowd. He's not just trying to keep people happy. You know, here he is on this big healing tour. And, oh, he's got a few words for the crowd. No, 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 no. Words is what Jesus is all about. That's what Mark's shown us. In fact, I want to describe Jesus from Mark chapter 4 as the word bringer. That's who he is. He is the word bringer. Now, this is, this is very important and significant. So we're going to fill in some background, right? We're going to go really fast through this. So stick with this, because this is going to be quite fast. And if you don't get all this, don't panic. But you'll, you'll, we'll be all right. It's not that difficult. But it is a theologically loaded term, this idea of carrying these words. What is this word Jesus is bringing well, I want to feel the weight of this portrait. So Mark's painting this portrait. Here are the words coming out of Jesus' mouth. What are these words? What are they? Mark wants us to see that they're the words of God. They're not ideas or opinions or suggestions or philosophies. They are the words of God. Right, here we go. Ready? We're going to go quick. The same word that created the world. In the very beginning, when there was nothing, God spoke and the word of God brought creation. It is the word of God which establishes God's rule over his world. 
There was no other word in Genesis, okay? In Genesis chapter 1, when God made the world, there was no other word, there was no other voice saying, oh, don't do it like that. There was no other voice opposing or suggesting. I've got an idea. Just one word. It was one word and it spoke. Let there be light. That is the word of a king. And that is a word, this is the important thing, right? A word that establishes a kingdom. God's word establishes his rule over the world that he's made. Right, here's Jesus. Jesus the Messiah who's bringing in God's kingdom. How do you establish a kingdom if you're God? Well, what did he do back in Genesis? He spoke a word. What does Jesus do, the Messiah, the kingdom bringer? He speaks a word. That's how you establish a kingdom. The kingdom of God is established by the word of God. Not by fighting a battle, not by doing miracles, not by waving your arms, but by the word. That's what we're being shown. Okay, come back over here to Genesis. You see, this, here is this wonderful picture of God's word creating this kingdom. But into that kingdom came another word, a rival word. A word that established another rule. So here's the word of God. The word of God puts God on the throne. It makes God king and it establishes God's kingdom. Here's another word, a rival word that enters into our world and it says, you be on the throne. And it challenges the word of God. And so now, humanity chooses to listen to the rival word rather than the word of God, it rejects the word of God and listens to this word. And as a result, the world which was under God's good rule becomes under God's judgment, condemnation. It becomes a world of... Well, it's interesting because it becomes a world of thorns and a world, a world where seeds just don't really grow. A world where the ground is hard and a world ultimately of death, where things wither and die. That is what life is like with the rival word. The true word of God brings life and freedom and joy. The rival word brings death and thorns. Now, are we all getting this? Everyone still happy? Now, at this point, you might imagine that God would say to his world, you've rejected my word, therefore there will be no more word from me. I will hand you over to your rival word and you can wither and die because you've rejected me. That would be fair enough, wouldn't it? He's the great king and you've rejected his word. But he doesn't. He continues to speak his word into this world. He continues to speak. He sends people like Moses. And he's, through guys like Moses, he speaks his word again into this world. In fact, I'm going to show you some verses from Deuteronomy 18. We are going to get back to Mark 4. Sorry, I'm, we'll get back. Uh, have a look at these words from Deuteronomy 18. I just want you to get this hold of what Mark is showing us about Jesus, why it's so significant. It says this. Uh, this is... Uh, Moses is going to die pretty soon which is a bit of a problem because Moses is the man with the word it's like what happens when Moses dies because if the word dies we're heading for death we need this word the nations you will dispossess listen to that listen 
They listen to the rival word. They listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you were asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of this assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So here is the great promise of God that there will be someone who speaks this word again. Now the tragedy of the story of humanity is that time and time again and the nation of Israel time and time again rejected the word of God and listened to the rival word, the word that makes me king. Many prophets came. Guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and all these guys, right? Loads of prophets until eventually Jesus comes. And he says, listen to me. Why? Because he speaks the word. Here is the one, the one whom God has raised up from among the Israelites and you must listen to him. And now Jesus stands by the shore of the Lake of Galilee, not by the shore, in a boat, floating on the Sea of Galilee and he says, listen. It's my words. See how significant this is? The true word of God puts God on the throne. The rival word puts me on the throne. Jesus comes into a world. Now, this is so important because we tend to think, oh, well, we're kind of neutral. We're not neutral. By nature, we are people who listen to the rival word, the word that puts me on the throne. Okay, what does that word look like today? We don't tend to listen to sorcery and divination. What does this rival word look like today? Where's any voice that puts me at the centre? The voice of individual choice. The voice of freedom. The voice of self-expression. Listen to the song here in my heart. A melody I start but can't complete. Listen to the sound from deep within. Get it? Listen to the voice within. Beyonce says. Listen. And it's essentially the word that puts me on the throne. And all of us, all of us do that, don't we? I put myself on the throne. I listen to the word that I like, the word that exalts me, the word that makes me feel good. And here is Jesus, who comes as the word bringer. Of course, it's not going to be comfortable. Of course he's going to ruffle some feathers and going to annoy people and people are going to misunderstand and people are going to be annoyed by him. Do you know, it's the only way that God's kingdom will grow is by this word. Look, imagine I said to you, I'm going to establish a theme park and I'm going to call it Legoland. I realise it's been done. But, but, the, but the slight twist I've got is that I'm not going to use any Lego. I'm just going to use 
Play-Doh. I'm going to make everything out of Play-Doh, like all the rides and everything. And I'm going to invite people to come to Legoland. What are you going to say to me? That's not really Legoland. Because Legoland fundamentally has to be built out of Lego. Can I suggest you call it Play-Doh Land? (laughs) Well, here's the deal. If you want to build the kingdom, the only thing that will build the kingdom is the Word of God. And there are many, many people today who will say, oh, no, no, we build the kingdom by lots of other stuff. We build the kingdom by doing this or by doing this. If it's not the word of God, it's not the kingdom you're building. Right? The kingdom is built by the word of God. It's always been that way. I saw an article the other day that said this. The the title of the article was this. Why God often speaks without words. He doesn't. He doesn't speak without words. Jesus came with words, tons of them. Because that's what we need, because that's how the kingdom is built. How is the rival word going to be confronted? Only if the true word is heard. Jesus is the word bringer. Okay, here's my second big question. I hope you're all still uh, okay. Um, Not much you can do if if you're not. (laughs) Um, But here's the the second question. And... uh, it's this question, what does Jesus intend? Right, here's what I want to try and convince you of now. Having said it's all about the word of Jesus, I'm going to make quite a big claim now. And it's an uh, it's important claim. This is, this is my claim. Well, this is what I believe Mark chapter 4 is teaching. The words of Jesus never fail to achieve what they're intended to do. Okay, let me say that again. The words of Jesus never fail to achieve what they're intended to do. Now, just to get technical for a second, you know, there's a whole kind of philosophical, kind of like clever people thing with this. It's called speech act theory, which says that words do things. This is basically what it says. Like, people have got PhDs and stuff in this. Basically, it means words do things. Phil's dad's written lots of stuff about this. Uh, He's very clever and it's super. Uh, But... um, But words do things. That is, when I speak, I'm not just passing information from me to you. There's an intention. I want something to happen because of my words. So if I say, uh, Trev, have you got a £10 note? I'm not just, I don't just want the information. It's intended to make something happen. Right? Words... Words uh, have an intention to do things. Now, here's the reality. My words often fail. They don't do what I intend for them to do. So a simple thing like, put your shoes on, doesn't always create the intended effect. I, I won't mention which members of my family struggle with that. But Linda's getting better. And... Um, now look, it would be easy, wouldn't it? At first reading, it would be easy to assume that Jesus' words don't always work. So he tells this parable. Oh, look, we've got to the parable. <laughs> and uh, he tells this parable about the farmer chucking out seed, yes? And the seed is the word of God. What's the hit rate of people responding? 
Well, basically, the good response is like 25%. It'd be easy to say, look, in 75% of cases, the word of Jesus, it fails. But in 25% of cases, it works. That would be to misunderstand this parable. In every single case, this is, now this is shocking, all right? And this is going to offend people. But I want to show you the real Jesus, not some watered down version. Listen to this. In every single case, the word achieves the purpose that Jesus intended for it. You might say, really? You sure? Yeah, well, have a look at the middle of this story. You've got these three types of soil. You've got the path, which is hard. You've got the um, rocky ground, which is shallow. And you've got the thorny ground, which is choking the seed. And then you've got the good soil, where the seed grows. I mean, you might say, well, that's simple, okay? It's just, it's just that there's a load of different people. And, you know, some people respond like this. Shame, fail, fail, fail. Oh, success! But look what Jesus says. This is, I've really struggled with this. This has been really hard this week. Look at this. When he was alone, verse 10, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. That bother you? Which two words most bother you? Because they certainly bother me. Yeah. So that. Listen to it again. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outset, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever hearing but never understanding. So Jesus says, My parables have the intention of causing people to not understand. You what? Now, I warned you. I, I did warn you. I'm gonna, I want to show you what Mark's actually saying to us, not just some watered-down, nicey-nicey Jesus. We'd love the idea, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if it was just, Jesus goes, he preaches to everyone, and, and it's like, well, let's see if anything works. It doesn't say that. Jesus knows exactly, every single seed has an intention, has a purpose. What's going on? Well, what we're being told is that Jesus intends to expose hearts. As he speaks the word, hearts are exposed and shown. So look, imagine an art dealer, right? I know, I know very, I'm on dodgy ground here. I know very little about art, so forgive me if you're an art person. But imagine there's a painting, and I don't know if it's a fake or not. You know, it's by Picasso. And here it is, my Picasso painting. I don't know if it's a fake or not. What do I do with it? I take it to an expert. And I say, hello, Mr. Expert. Could you tell me if this is a fake or not? They do loads and loads and loads of tests on it and loads of stuff, and they come back to me and they say, actually, it's a fake. What do I say? You failed. You failed in your job. No, of course not. They've just exposed the truth of what's there. That's what Jesus is saying about his teaching. It exposes 
the reality of what's in someone's heart. So that little quote in verse 12 is from Isaiah chapter 6. Now don't, don't worry particularly about turning to it now, but in Isaiah 6, this bloke called Isaiah, who's one of these prophets who speaks God's word, he is given a rubbish job. <laughs> Listen to what Isaiah is told to do. He's all eager. God says, who should I send? Who will go? Isaiah's like, me, choose me. Well, perhaps it's more like, here am I. You know, could you use me? Anyway. But God says, go and tell these people. Here you go, Isaiah. This is your job. Special mission for you. Go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. What's going on? Well, the people's hearts have become so hard, so turned against God, that God is going to act in judgment upon them. And he's going to show just how bad it is. And Isaiah's preaching is just going to show how bad the situation really is in their hearts. And Jesus says, that's my preaching to you. He says, my ministry is like Isaiah. Except it's not. It's not because Isaiah had a one-pronged ministry. It just showed up people's hardness. Jesus, and here's the amazing thing, has a two-pronged ministry. Because he actually also reveals the secret of the kingdom. The real miracle of this story is that some people respond. I mean, who are they? I mean, think about it. If I ask you today, do you think your heart is hard towards God? Have you lived this week listening to the voice that's about me and doing what I want and living for myself and living for me? Have you listened to that voice this week? All of us would confess, yeah, my heart is hard. Or perhaps sometimes you got excited about the Bible, you got excited about the Word of God, it's like, oh yeah, 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 this is really cool, this makes me feel really good. Oh no, suffering's come, I don't like this anymore, I'm going to chuck it in. We avoid suffering. Because I'm on the throne. Or perhaps some of us we go, oh yeah, yeah, this is really exciting, oh no, no, but there's all this stuff that I want. And I want better stuff, and I want a bigger house, and I want more money, and I want a better career, and I want this stuff, this is what I really want. I think my heart is hard. I think my heart is like the path. And I think my heart is like the rocky ground. And it's like the thorny ground. So who, are the, who is it? I mean, who on earth are the ones who receive the word, accept it, and produce a crop? Who are they? I'll tell you who they are. Verse 11, look at it again. Uh, verse 10, look at it again. When he was alone... The twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. They're not the good ones, or the clever ones, or the rich ones, or the brainy ones, or the gifted ones. They're the ones who come to Jesus and say, I don't get it. Jesus up. Can you explain it to me? And what you discover is that as people come to Jesus, he breaks up the hard ground. 
he pulls out the thorns and he plants his word. It only happens when I humbly come to Jesus and ask him to do this. You see, this is, this is why my art illustration was a rubbish illustration. Because the art illustration doesn't work. Because the art illustration, the artist only, the, the expert only has the power to say fake or reality. Here's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus has the power to take someone whose heart is hard and thorny and shallow and to break it up and to plant his word deep inside. Now, here's my question. My question is not, are you a really, really good person? Do you listen well in church? Do you take notes? Are you a good listener? My question is this. Do you want Jesus to so work in your heart that he will break the hardness and plant his word? Because if you do, and if you'll come to him humbly, he says, the secret's revealed to you. I don't think this parable of the sower is meant to make us run around saying, oh, am I good soil or am I bad soil? I can solve it for you this afternoon. I know what soil all of you are. You're we. I know what soil all of us are. It's going to sound harsh. It's sounding harsh in my head. Although harsh is all right sometimes. All of us are hard ground. And whether we're hard or shallow or thorny doesn't really matter. All of us, by nature, listen to the rival word. All of us will not accept the word of Jesus. All of us are hard ground. And the whole reason that Jesus had to come was because of the hardness of our hearts. Because our hearts are under God's condemnation, full of thorns and hardness. And here's Jesus, who even had to go to a cross. You know what they rammed on his head as he died? They rammed thorns into his head. Because as Jesus died, the curse and the thorns of my rejection of God, what I deserve, was placed on Jesus. It crushed him. Jesus, on the cross, withered and died. He was choked by the thorns. So that he could break your heart. So that he could break it open. And so that he could plant his word deep inside you. That is why the difference between these groups is nothing to do with how good or clever or bright or beautiful or intelligent they are. It's all to do with whether you come to Jesus or whether you walk away from him. The crowds, they listen and they walk away. The disciples, they listen and they come. And the word of Jesus will drive some away and it will drive some to Jesus. And my question for you this afternoon is, does the word of Jesus drive you to him or away from him? It's that simple. And so Jesus' words always achieve their purpose. But this is not a fatalistic thing where we walk away and say, oh, well, I think I'm hard ground. I think I'm never going to accept it. Jesus changes hard ground. That's what he came to do. I'm going to finish um, very quickly with this last bit. Because I, I kind of, that's really, that's the thing that's gripped me. That's the thing I want you to go away with. Um, but I do just want to show you this last bit. Um, because look, look what happens next. Here is, 
as Jesus, I mean, this is beautiful, as Jesus plants his seed in you, you then begin to produce a crop. <laughs> I mean, that's cool, isn't it? Massive yield. You begin to bear fruit. But there's just no room for boasting. I love this in Jesus' kingdom. I mean, who of us is going to go, oh, yes, well, actually, I'm good soil. <laughs> there is no boasting. All of us go, actually, I was thorny, very, very thorny. Jesus weeded me. <laughs> I like that. I was very, very stony, but Jesus dug me out. You see this? I was very, very hard, but Jesus broke me open. That's the parable of the soul. That's what it's about. There's no room for boasting. And then he tells these two little parables about his kingdom to say, look, don't even boast. You know, so you've got this parable of the growing seed. You know, what does Jesus achieve? He achieves strength out of weakness. Look at this. This this kingdom, a man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. This is so humbling. His kingdom's going to grow. This word is going to grow. Do you know, I spent ages this week writing a strategy policy document for the Globe Church. It makes no difference to anything. It's okay to have strategies and stuff, but you can't grow a kit. This is so humbling. I don't know how to make it grow. All I do is preach the word. I chuck out the word. This is what we're called to do. We're called to take these words of Jesus and just talk these words of Jesus. I don't know how to make it grow. It's so humbling. Or look at this last parable. What should we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable should we describe it? It's like a, you imagine the crowd, all of them are on there. It's like a, come on Jesus, the kingdom of God is like a, it's going to be good, it's going to be big. It's like a mustard seed. I mean, you can imagine the crowd going, did I hear that right? I mean, like a lion, an army, a, a mountain, a mustard seed. And many people are going to miss this kingdom because they despise what is small. They despise what isn't powerful because the rival voice says, no, big, 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 strategy, big. That's the rival voice. God's voice says, no, my power, not yours. My power, not yours. Small, not big. Weakness into strength because this kingdom will grow. Look at it. This mustard seed which people will despise and it doesn't get smaller than a naked, crucified Galilean man hanging on a cross. I mean, it's pathetically small. It's like a tiny, tiny little thing. One man, look where we are now. (laughs) And look at us. I mean, there's 8 million people in London. I mean, what a joke. We're not even a mustard seed in London. But that's cool. Because that's what the kingdom's like. And it will grow. It is unstoppable. And it will become the biggest of all the, the earth of trees. And so here is this, let's, let's wrap all this together, okay? Here is Mark presenting before us Jesus, the word bringer. The one who speaks the word of God into a world that loves the rival word. Jesus brings the word. Here's my question. Not do you know all the answers. Not do you get it. Not do you understand the Bible and know where all your, all your Bible references. Forget all that. Will you come to Jesus acknowledging that without him your heart is hard? And will you ask him to break you? To weed you? 
and to dig out the stones and to plant his word deep there. Humbling. It, 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 it's, for some people, it's going to be too hard. For some people, they don't want it. And it will expose that actually they're going to walk away from Jesus. But Jesus is not Isaiah. And many will come. And they will bear fruit. Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we... We acknowledge that this is hard teaching. That what Jesus says is very challenging. And it's challenging largely because it exposes our pride. It exposes the way we love to be on the throne. And so, Father, we, we pray that you would break our hard hearts. That you'd dig out our stony hearts and that you'd weed out our thorny hearts and that you plant your word so deep in us. Teach us humility, we pray. Forgive us for all our proud arrogance. Forgive us for all the times when we want to be seen to be strong or we want to be part of something big. And Father, help us instead to recognize that your kingdom is built through weakness, through death, through smallness. So Father, we ask for your help as we respond. We ask this week, Lord, Without you, Lord Jesus, we have no hope. But we pray this week, we delight in this word. In Jesus' name. Amen.